Hello, my name is Sean Thomas Radcliffe. Welcome to this episode of Preservation Oaks. In this series, we introduce you to yet another extraordinary organization serving their community by conserving and preserving our heritage. It could be an organization in your community, in your county, or in your state. Now sit back and relax and enjoy the program. My name is Sean Thomas Radcliffe coming to you from Salt Lake City, Utah, and this program is Preservation Oaks. Today we have a very special guest, Dr. Paul Brennan, the president of Kailua Historical Society in the great state of Hawaii. Here's some biographical information for our listeners. Dr. Brennan is an anthropologist. Upon graduating with a doctorate in descriptive linguistics, Dr. Brennan spent over a decade in the jungles of Papua New Guinea learning about the indig indigenous Enga people and their language. He then worked for three years as an advisor to the Papua New Guinea prime minister. He and his wife then transitioned to Kailua, Hawaii in 1981. Since that time, Dr. Brennan has been actively recording oral histories from the people of Kailua as well as leading historical tours of the area. In 2010, the Society published a 300-page book called Kailua. The book is available from the Kailua Historical Society website. It has been well-reviewed and has sold over 9,000 copies thus far. According to the book's cover, the book takes readers on a journey through the historical and contemporary landscape of the history of Kailua from Hawaiian settlement through statehood, guided by the personal and deeply affectionate reflections of people past and present. Anyone listening who is researching family in the area would do well to grab a copy of this book. You can get it at the Society's website, which is Kailua Historical Society, all one word, dot org. Dr. Brennan, welcome to the program. Mahalo. Thank you. Happy to be here. Thank you. How are you doing today? Just fine. The skies are opening up on this mor morning, and uh, we're welcoming another beautiful day in the land of Aloha. Oh, I want to tell you, Dr. Brennan, you're living in one of the most beautiful places on Earth. How beautiful Oahu and Kailua are. It's got some of the best beaches in the world and lush vegetation everywhere. The town of Kailua has a lot of culture and history, and I'm hoping you can help us understand some of that as we chat. I'll be happy to share. I think your tourism must be through the roof even during this pandemic. 
I read the population of Kailua is almost 40,000, but I'm wondering how much tourism causes the size of the population to fluctuate. What are your thoughts, doctor? I think that um, tourism has had minimal effect on our area. By contrast with places like Waikiki, we have no hotels, no motels. Wow. We have a population at the present time actually of more like 50,000. There are home sales that are being recorded on a regular basis, but it's... uh, a challenge that we have, for the most part, run out of buildable land. Oh, yeah. And we have to make sure that what we still have left of agricultural potential is going to be preserved. Yeah, you have to and feed all the, those people, huh? What did you say? I said we, you have to feed all those people moving in. <laughs> Yes, uh, they have to get their sustenance somewhere. Kailua's history has been well recorded for having been the poi bowl for not only the people who live in our area, but in days gone by, being able to share that staple of life with lots of people like in Honolulu. You'll have to explain to the listeners, Doctor, what is poi? Poi is that uh, wonderful food that is pulverized after it's ground. It's a root crop called taro or kalo. It was a staple all across Polynesia, and the Hawaiians brought it with them when they first arrived. They found wonderful soils in which to plant it. Kailua has an abundance of water and a soil which is unsurpassed for being able to grow that staple crop. So poi is ground up taro root? That is it. It's not such an attractive food. It's bland, bland in color, and people would also say bland in taste. My family especially enjoys it when we have pokey to eat with it, raw fish, and maybe lomi lomi salmon, Wow! and uh, good things of that nature, which just are wonderful chemistry for the taste. Thank you, doctor. Uh- You know, when I think about Kailua and I think about Hawaii, unlike a lot of communities in the U.S. where there was wilderness, I I kind of feel like Kailua and Hawaii was settled or had to be settled differently than other areas in the U.S. Uh, Many of the areas settled on the mainland were settled by Europeans after discovering an abundance of wildlife and water and trees and things like that. While there were indigenous peoples in North America, in Hawaii, you all had a king and queen. Would you agree with that? Yes, I I think in many ways it's different. The earliest explorers came here. I'm talking about those Hawaiians who might have arrived uh, 1,400 years ago or so Mm -hmm. and traveling in their canoes Up from the Marquesas Islands, they spotted this uninhabited string of islands, and um, the archipelago has now been taken over by those who, he's 
essentially brought with them the staples that they thought they would need. And they began planting and using the soil. It's been a wonderful home for them for all of these generations. How far away is it from the other islands that they came from? I can't recall the name you mentioned, Marquesa? The Marquesas Islands, okay. um, yes, uh, more southerly in the uh, Pacific Basin. Uh, they would have traveled a good 800 miles. They would have had to be very careful in their selections about what they were taking because they were on a discovery project. Then, uh, guided by the stars, they had to go back to where their homes originally were and bring back more people and more supplies. We believe that's how the pig came with them. Oh, okay. We believe that they selected their food stuffs very carefully. Following the stars, then, they were able to retrace their steps uh, to this land which awaited such a group of people with grand hopes for the future. Doctor, why is a town called Kailua? Kailua, two syllables, is um, etymologically, literally, two waters. And it's not certain what those two waters might refer to. Maybe exclusively the salt water with its currents. There are two major kinds of currents that are flowing off the shoreline. But I tend to think that it's more the two from a consideration of fresh with salt. Uh, the fresh water was where they especially could live and plant. Uh, the salt water was where they could fish and they could explore. But um, whatever the real etymology might be, as they gave it that name, it certainly has applied very well. Thank you very much. You know, um, my dad was um, in Pearl Harbor in 1941 on December 7th, and Hawaii was still the territory of Hawaii. When did it start to grow? When did Kailua start to really grow and prosper? Well, it certainly was after the war had finished. Kailua had a population of some 1,500 people in 1940, according to a census. And after the war, it had exploded to more like 4,000. When the military were present in Kailua, its uh, population had surged exponentially. But then in the 1950s, we saw the multiplication of homes and roads and the need for real estate to be used in ways that had not been used before. Previously, in the early parts of the 20th century, for example, there were more cattle grazing in Kailua than there were people. Oh, wow. Gradually, those dairies were exchanged for roads and residential areas. And so by 1950, we had a population of some 26,000. Wow. There was expansion going on everywhere. There must have been there were quite roads a... being built. 
That must have been quite a cultural shock for the people that lived there. Yes, I think it was. I didn't come myself until uh, 40 years after the war had begun. I heard these stories from the old-timers who had lived here. Uh, Some of them had grown up on plantations associated with sugarcane production or pineapple uh, acres. There were stories which told about the simple economics of the past and how that their families, mostly immigrants coming from China and Japan and the Philippines and Portugal, they had all been able to find their way, and working together, they had cooperated to create a good home. The economics today are so much different. It's not unusual for sales of our houses in Kailua these days to certainly exceed a million dollars for every single family residence. Wow. It's putting lots of strain on how we're going to be able to meet the needs of everyone present. Uh, The homeless population in Kailua right now, for example, we know it to be more than 100 and And I serve on three committees that are looking into the challenge of how do we meet the needs of everybody who is here? And how do we make sure that everybody is safe and well? And at at night, our streets are not going to be taken over by those who disregard the laws. So it's a very different time now from what it had been back in the country days of just after the Second World War had finished. So right after the Second World War, you had a more of an indigenous population, and then you had people coming from China and maybe Japan. Is Hawaii in the Pacific, is Hawaii closer to the Asian countries than it is to the United States? It's just about an equal distance. The United States, uh, generally, when you think about the coastline of California and Oregon and Washington, that's about a 2,000-mile distance. If you want to go to Australia or the Philippines or Japan, you've got to go an additional 1,000 miles to be able to get there. We are the crossroads of the Pacific, and... uh, Those who were recruited, especially early in the 1900s, to be able to come and work on the plantations, they knew that they were in for a good journey. And it wasn't just a matter of miles, but it was also a matter of cultural differences and lifestyle. And so over this big expanse of time and geography, there have been lots of transformations made over time. I know the uh, pineapple and sugarcane you mentioned, they had plantations there. So they would actively go out and recruit workers, not necessarily from mainland U.S., but also from Asian countries. Is that right? Yes, they were looking for cheap labor, and uh, in 1900, uh, the owners of those 
big commercial crops uh, began looking not towards the U.S. primarily for cheap labor, but for those who could come from China, Japan, the Philippines. And they were successful in being able to get them. Uh, During those days, there was the experience for the Japanese of the picture brides. And many of these bachelors who had come earlier, there were thousands of them, scattered around Hawaii. Uh, They were looking for brides, and they sent their letter, maybe being assisted in literacy by the priest or a family friend or someone who was literate, being able to answer some very basic questions. And then after those messages of welcome had been received in Japan, along came their brides. Wow. And these bachelors would excitedly go to the harbors and see if they could find the right number who had committed to them. And uh, it's a beautiful story of accommodation and cooperation and all without any, for the most part, romantic periods of time. And the success rate of those marriages has just been unbelievable. Fantastic. Now, Doctor, Hawaii became a state in 59, 1959. At that point, did those people that had come from Asia have to make a choice between American citizenship and going back home or not? Um, It was not a required choice because many of them had already accepted the fact that they were here and uh, they were happily engaged in their efforts and to a large extent they had been westernized, Americanized, so that when the war broke out, there is very little evidence that there had been collusion on the part of those, especially from Japan, trying to assist a foreign power in overtaking this island chain belonging to the United States. I interviewed quite a number of these Japanese men who proudly, honestly could proclaim to me, yes, they were happy to assist their new land. They were patriots. And in any way they possibly could, they would contribute. I interviewed one man by the name of Mitsuo Uchibori, for example. And born in 1920, he was very eligible for the draft. And he was a friend of the governor, John Burns, at that time. And so when the anticipation of a conflict was coming, he asked the governor, what should I do? I want to be loyal to my new nation. And the governor gave him a very simple and challenging response. Keep doing what you're doing. He was a truck driver. He was a farmer. He was a fam- in a family of farmers. Yeah. And on a regular basis, as a teenager even, he was driving a pickup truck loaded with bananas and papayas and these good things to eat, going across the poly to be able to be sold in Chinatown 
places like that. And so when the war broke out, Mitz kept doing what he was doing. And with a big smile on his face, he said, I had unlimited gasoline. And that was not true of everybody else because they had a rationed amount. But he could continue in his pickup truck carrying these good foods across to where the population centers were. And I have many stories associated with the Japanese who were trying to find how they could fit. And um, they're just beautiful stories of loyalty to their new nation and how they could promote the cause of the American country that they had become a part of. That's very good. Doctor, in our pre-show chat, you mentioned that you did oral interviews and you mentioned that you had a choice at one point of where to take the society. And I thought that was very, very interesting. Would you mind relating that again? Yes. When I arrived in 1981, having come here fresh from Papua New Guinea, I realized that I could follow up on the stories that I was being told by either talking to more people or trying to find the documents that related to what they were describing for me. And said, and so instead of following the paper trail, which I knew would be there in the form of libraries and archives, I chose to go to that diminishing source of information, which were the lives of these individuals. And in retrospect, I realized that that was the right way to go. Very wise. And from from these interviews, I, I just gleaned so much information, especially the feelings that were associated with decisions. And I will never forget the accounts that came to me regarding the Japanese pastor in the Methodist Church who on December 7, 1941, was forcibly escorted out of the pulpit by the military Mm. because he was Japanese. And they thought that there might be some collusion there between him and the invading force from Japan. He um, was held incommunicado until Christmas Day. And then in a gesture of mercy, they released him and they were convinced that he would be able to be useful in assisting the Japanese population during those trying days. He was able to get a ride all the way back from the Nimitz area on Sand Island, and he walked in to his family celebrating Christmas dinner. Oh, man. Still wearing the same suit that he had on December 7. Quite a dramatic account. No kidding, that's that's really Uh, nice. I interviewed others who belonged to volunteer fire departments, and one of them, for example, told me that he was just a young fellow, about 21 years old, and he had been practicing flying. He was learning how to be a pilot early on the morning of December 7. And quickly he came down out of the sky 
when he realized that there was activity going on, he jumped in his car and headed back to the eastern side of Oahu, only to be told that he could not join the volunteer fire department that had raced to the area where the bombs had earlier been dropped that morning, trying to put out the fires. And the Caucasian buddies of his said, go home, go home, you're not safe here. And it was simply because of race. They were trying to protect him. And it was obvious that the Japanese had to seek shelter. They had to be out of sight, if you will, for those tense first hours, lest they be accused of being spies aiding the enemy. Yeah, I bet they were really And um, their stories are just remarkable. Uh, Here in Kailua, for example, we have no account whatsoever of any Japanese person who was spying for Japan. Uh, I have a list of names of Japanese immigrants and it numbers more than 200 prior to the outbreak of the war. And I have tried to contact many of these, and their stories are all the same. We were sad, we were confused, and we had to go into hiding. They had to get rid of kimonos, for example, or Japanese samurai swords. They had to hide any evidence, like bonsai plants, which might indicate that they were of Japanese ancestry. Oh, yes. And they had to comply with all these strict curfews and largely remain out of sight and uh, not declare that they were Japanese first and foremost. Yeah, I can imagine. But um, I felt very fortunate to have been able to hear those stories. How many of those interviews have you conducted, Doctor? Um, I don't know the full number, but it's over 100 for sure. Probably 150 of these stories I, I have accounts for. Some of them are more lengthy than others. I continue my contacts with many of these families. People in our town recognize me as being the one who was asking all those questions before, and I have a whole file of thank you notes from them, which say essentially, thank you for getting Grandpa to talk. Thank you for listening to his stories. That's fantastic. We have just learned so much through that interviewing process. But many of the stories that I was listening to were from Hawaiians as well. Right. And during the war years, they had no prejudice given to them. Um, They were actively involved in their own lives, and they were trying to assist in the process of being safe and cooperative and um, just taking care of the basic needs of their families. 
Doctor, we've only got about 30 seconds before the first break. I'm sorry to interrupt. Um, That's okay. But we've got about 30 seconds. And when we come back from the break, I'd really like to explore, you know, where are these oral histories? Are they preserved? Are they going to be preserved? Are they safe? That kind of thing. And uh, a few other questions sure. as well. Um, so Sounds good. Thank you very much. So let's pause for a couple okay. of minutes. Uh, it's sure. time for our first break. Listeners, we'll be right back after these words. We hope you're enjoying this program. I hope you're doing well and staying safe. Each week, MicroStream Radio will reach millions of people across the world through high-quality programs that connect our listeners to information and entertainment. This critical work is made possible by the contributions of individuals who believe in our mission, which is to create high-quality, entertaining and relevant programming that is rich with ideas and culture and designed to help our listeners become more aware as well as to succeed and prosper. Members are the lifeblood of MicroStream Radio. We are publicly funded. 100% of those funds help us to sustain existing programming and to grow. But this cannot happen without your generous support. Show your support today at www.patreon.com backslash microstream radio. A contribution of any amount makes you a member. Whether you choose to support us or not, we welcome you here and thank you so much. As we grow financially, we will add new programs. Your support allows us to bring you more unique and interesting programs. If you share our mission, then providing support is a logical choice. Thank you. This is Dave McFarland, director of the Montgomery County Historical Society, and I listen to Sean Thomas Radcliffe and Preservation Oaks on MicroStream Radio. Hello, this is Sean Thomas. When you work with as many different historical and genealogical societies as I have, you learn that when a society is started in a community, that moment is when they need your support the most. Generally, new societies are started by concerned citizens trying to preserve the area's history and culture. If you have a society in your area, then please support them with both your volunteer time and your funding. The more support they have, the more they can benefit the community in terms of providing records for family research and education for the public and students in grades K through 12. With adequate funding, the society can stand up a museum or sponsor historical and fun events in order to tell the historical story of the area and its inhabitants. Maintaining a society makes a huge difference in a community. Please don't wait. Show your support for your local historical or genealogical society today. They preserve our heritage and culture for existing and future children of all ages. Thank you. This is your queen. Do you want to be an official member of Preservation Oaks? Of course you do, you silly bugger. Just go to patreon.com backslash microstreamradio and become a Patreon. Do it right away. I command it. Pancake cookies. Pancake cookies. Pancake paper, you're a famous man. 
Well, all I do is bake them just as good as a can. What did you seek for Mr. Patty's A sample of ladies, one from each pan. And now for a bit of selfless promotion. Hello friends and neighbors, I hope you're doing well and enjoying the program. Please consider supporting MicroStream Radio. We can't do it without you. We rely solely on the generous financial support of individuals from all across the world to power programs which enrich lives, inspire minds, and celebrate diverse perspectives. A contribution of any amount makes you a member. Show your support today at www.patreon.com backslash microstreamradio. As we grow financially, we'll add new programs. Your support allows us to bring you more unique and interesting content. We thank you so much. And now, back to Preservation of. Welcome back to Preservation Oaks. I'm your host, Sean Thomas Radcliffe, and we're here today with Dr. Paul Brennan, the president of the Kailua Historical Society in the state of Hawaii. For this segment, I'm going to talk about the oral histories that Dr. Brennan has collected. He has collected about 150 of these oral histories from native Hawaiians, from uh, Japanese uh, people of Japanese descent and Chinese descent, how they felt about the war, uh, World War II, of course, and the Japanese attack at that time. So, Doctor, let's continue. These oral histories that you collected, are they safe, and will they be preserved? Yes, they are safe. I have been concerned about their preservation and uh, their uh, intelligibility. There are a couple of them that we have full recordings made. They have been more in-depth interviews, which I was privileged to be able to conduct. Most of them, however, are paper documents which I have carefully filed. I refer to them regularly. There's not a week that goes by, but that I don't have to have access to them, and uh, I consider them treasures, one-of-a-kind treasures. They certainly are. Our, our local library here knows that I have them. Families within Kailua also know that I have them. I'm happy to share the information. Unfortunately, we don't have a location We have no public office where people might be able to come, especially those who have moved away from Kailua have contacted the society and asked from time to time about particular people or business. 
businesses that came about, we try to answer them as they come in. But um, we we hope that in the future we will have a better archives than we presently do. And the prime concern would be to have it accessible to the community. At the present time, we're located in a warehouse in an industrial park. Okay. And while it's safe and it's able to be accessed, it's only accessed by a few of us. Right. And we would like to make our photographic archives and our documentation uh, available to the public in a better way. So that's a dream that we have for the future. Yeah, we we have a particular acreage in mind, but uh, whether we will ever be able to succeed in acquiring access to that area remains to be seen. It's all about donations and support. That's right. And it's also about cooperation from government officials. There is state land, for example, where the homeless have come in. It's overgrown. It's right alongside the marsh at Kawainui. The homeless have been able to find a quick and easy access to that area. The Kailua Historic Society has Um, mounted several major efforts to clean the area up. And thus far, we have taken out of that area more than 10 tons of trash. And uh, we still have lots of work to be able to do down there. When the pandemic is over, we hope we'll be able to go in and continue with that effort. But at the present time, the state's Department of Land and Natural Resources have told us that we will need to wait. Mm, right. But um, we are we are in a holding pattern ourselves, and we hope that we will be able to resume these efforts. Doctor, does the society or how does the society help celebrate Native Hawaiian heritage? We've talked about Japanese and people from China and people on the mainland and but what about Native Hawaiians? Do you have a role in celebrating their heritage? Yes, we do. We're very involved in that, uh, even to the present time. In the valley in which I live, for example, Mauna Wili, we have been very active in the past in conducting tours of the Queen's Retreat area. Mm. This was an area where the royal family back in the 1870s was first beginning to come. Um, There were Hawaiians living on that site, and there is a carriageway. Uh, There is a royal bath, which have been dedicated to exclusive use by the royal family. We look forward to the opportunity of being able to come in and restore the area. Uh, Right now, nature has taken over. The oldest house on the windward side on Oahu is located there, and that probably is not going to be able to be salvaged. But uh, we do believe that the 
royal carriageway and the bath and a heiau, a Hawaiian temple site, will be able to be preserved and uh, will be able to make them much more accessible to the public in future days. Until they're preserved, are they protected by the state? Yes, they are. Um, We're looking forward right now to the landowner turning over not just the Queen's Retreat area, which consists of about 10 acres, but about 1,000 acres where there is a golf course. We are hopeful that this acreage will be able to be turned over to the city and county and the state, and then we will be able, as civic clubs within Kailua, uh, our associations would be able to come in and uh, spearhead the work of cleaning up and restoring and preserving these areas. So, Doctor, meanwhile, uh, meanwhile, you're doing tours of the areas? Um, <clears throat> on a limited basis, I am. Uh, I, I don't have the time um, to be able to do this on a regular basis. This is all volunteer work, of course. Yes. And um, we look forward to the day when the Kailua Historic Society might be able to employ people to give these tours. Um, I led a tour just a month ago for the Society of Hawaiian Archaeology. I felt that they were a deserving and patient group that had wanted to come in and learn more about the Queen's Retreat. And so... One Saturday morning, about a month ago, I led about 30 of them, very interested in that area and hanging on to every word because uh, there was so much to share. And we were together for more than two hours on that morning. Wow. I bet they, um, were, I bet they were very impressed. Yes, I think they were. Many of them said, I've lived here all my life. I've not known that this even existed. Wow. And um, we we were conducting tours before the pandemic on a regular basis. Many of them were school groups and um, grades five and above generally, and university groups who wanted to come in, and they had a special focus for their educational uh, tour. But um, the pandemic has changed things quite radically. So we're waiting to see how this might be able to change. Is it possible for people to connect with the society and to join a tour or or you're saying we're not doing any tours until the pandemic is over uh right now in a general way i'm having to say yes we're going to dispense with our tours for safety's sake but um, be in touch with the society as soon as the cases 
for contagion are dropping and the protocols are followed, we will be able eventually to resume these tours because education has always been one of the major efforts of the Kailua Historical Society. Yes. Doctor, at one point there, there was a queen, there was a king, uh, and I, I think the queen outlived the king. And at one point, you know, she lived somewhere. Was it Honolulu? She lived in Honolulu at the palace, yes. Okay, so she lived in Honolulu, and you're saying that she had a carriage, and the carriage would take her to somewhere near Kailua, and she would then bathe there, and there was a temple there, and that kind of thing. Is that right? Uh, yes, uh, especially with the Kalakawa family, the royal family. They would come on horseback in carriages in the 1870s especially. This was before Queen Liliuokalani had come into power as the queen, having replaced her brother who had died. Okay. They came into Monawili of Kailua because there were family friends who could promise them all the hospitality that they needed, all the safety that they needed. And their desire at those times was to go around the island on these tours, coming into contact with their constituents and making the kinds of relationships that they wanted even stronger than before. And so these were happening. When they came into Monawili, there was the dancing and singing and celebrating and the best food and the best of everything because the royal family was there. How did your society begin, Doctor? What, when did it start? Well, um, about 20 years ago, there was a recognition from a dozen of us within Kailua, and that recognition had resulted in quite a significant way from the tours that I was leading. And people began saying, you know, uh, we, we ought to organize ourselves. We ought to become a, a nonprofit organization, a 501c3, Right. so that we can conduct what we need to be doing. We would like to have tours. We would like to have programs. We would like to publish. And so after coming together quickly, the recognition was shared and uh, we organized ourselves. And one of the first things we did was to publish the big book called Kailua. That book has brought in uh, revenue for us. I just delivered to the University of Hawaii a hundred copies of that book just uh, a month ago. Wow. And the University of Hawaii Press will fill the orders mostly from overseas. And our book then will go into the libraries of those places. The, the local community is very aware that we exist. Although the pandemic has 
certainly cause confusion as to how we are still, might still be in existence and what our plans are for the future. We still have our board of directors. We still conduct our business. We have bank accounts and um, we get together as needed, but the pandemic has curtailed lots of our activity. Yeah. Has it hit the, the island very hard? Uh, yes, I would say it has. Yeah. And uh, every place you go in, like a store, every public place, uh, there is a mask mandate. And we try to be very careful with our protocols that we don't pass this um, problem along to anybody else. Um, we are, I think at the present time, 70% vaccinated for uh, the adult population. Oh, that's great. That's better than and the U.S. mainland. We are hopeful that we will be able to open up many of our restaurants and uh, places, especially that the tourists are in need of. I know that as the holidays are soon to come upon us, there will be lots of desire for people to return to the islands. One of our sons is coming in the month of December, for example. That's That's just uh, how it's going to be taking place. Your society membership, Doctor, is it mainly people who had relatives? Is it mainly natives of Kailua? We are all residents of Kailua, with one exception. We um, all have deep interest in the principles and the purposes of our society. In most cases, also, our board members have long personal histories here. And um, in some cases, they have themselves given tours for uh, members of their family or school groups, alumni especially, who have returned. There is a large number of former Kailua residents who have moved away. They belong to this diaspora, if you will, who continue their deep interest in their homeland, their place of birth, their place of graduation. And um, during the month of December, I have agreed, for example, to conduct a tour of the Queen's Retreat for one of these very large families. I have to be very selective about them, and then they have to understand what the protocols are. While they're vacationing here, they will be able to learn more about their place, and um, they'll be able to go back to their own new location and uh, be inspired even more so than when they first came. Do you offer services at the society if somebody believes they have relatives and needs to do some research genealogically? Yes, we have done that quite frequently. We have made ourselves available and um, uh, word of mouth primarily has been able to share the information that we exist. We have documents, we have knowledge, and uh, we, we are trying to be good stewards of what we have received. And even though the pandemic has put some very strong restrictions on us. Yeah. 
Now, you mentioned that you need a physical location as an archive. So you've got the oral histories and probably a lot of other artifacts stored in a donated warehouse somewhere. What about the actual facility for the society? Do you have one? We, we do not have a facility. Okay. Uh, previously, we rented a space from the Chamber of Commerce. That was their information center right in the heart of Kailua. But um, the Chamber of Commerce no longer has that, and so we had to move out of there. Unfortunately, we, we don't have a presence physically where people can approach us and we can be accessible. On a personal basis, uh, my telephone number is known to lots of people. I receive calls on a regular basis, and others of our board also are in communication with other members of Kailua, residents of Kailua, and um, we're limping along now, but we hope for better days ahead where we might not have to be so out of access from everyone like we would like to be. So I suspect your funding goals as as the president of the society, one of your main goals would be let's get the funding for a facility, sort of a, an information center, if you will, for uh, a public presence. Now, you do have your website, so that's that's something that people can get worldwide. What other goals do you have, would you like to have or do, uh, given the funding? What would that be? Well, uh, coming out of an archaeological background, my goal would be, and I think the society would support this, we would like to have more research done archaeologically. And right now, we have, we have been able to work with the State Department of... Um, Natural Resources? Um, yeah, they... They are going to be uh, coming in. They have some funds which they have been able to set aside, and uh, we are going to work with them. I'm going to be conducting them on some tours to show them where there needs to be more research done. They will be able to use that money. So um, we, we have tried to protect these areas that we know have midden sites. We know that there are burials in certain areas. Right. I would like to think that the Kailua Historical Society might be involved in that in the future. And then we would like to employ some young people to be able to bring our files and archives up to date. We would like to digitize many of them. That's a goal which we envision for the future as well. But we do need a space. We need a location. We could fill a museum right now. We have set aside some items from the past. Mostly it's items of a historic period kind, Uh, you know, during the contact period beginning in the 19th century. There's quite a bit of material culture which we have put aside, and we think that we'll be able to proceed with that, but we need a space. And when I was in Papua, 
Papua New Guinea. I was very instrumental in starting a museum and cultural center there for the Enga people, and I envision being able to do a lot of this in the future. Yeah, that would be great. What type of fundraising activities does your society offer? you do like events or how do you take in donations? People send us their memberships. Families have made donations to us and we are grateful for those, but we have not mounted any campaign, nothing for capital development. Um, we, we think that once the pandemic finishes, we might be able to go forward with some of those things. We have been able to raise a little bit of money from I Love Kailua special days that have been in celebration of Kailua's history. But uh, during the pandemic, all of that has ceased. We just have to wait until the opportunity comes. It will. God always provides, right? I think so. We're hopeful of that. Meanwhile, how do you keep the community and your, your member community informed about the progress of the society and achieving its mission? I know you have a <clears> website. Do you have like a newsletter or something? We don't have a newsletter. We would like to be able to have that kind of publicity going out on a regular basis. But at the present time, we have not been able to go ahead with that. We anticipate that in the future, we will have that. Yep, makes sense. Dr. Brennan and listeners, it's time for our second break for a few minutes. This is Sean Thomas Radcliffe. We'll be right back with our guest, Dr. Paul Brennan, the president of the Kailua Historical Society in Kailua, Hawaii, after these important words. from the Dyersville Area Historical Society, and I love listening to Preservation Oaks on MicroStream Radio. Hello, mates. I hope you're doing well and enjoying the program. Your support is a direct and vital investment in the programs that MicroStream Radio provides throughout the year. Whatever programs you enjoy remain alive and on the air thanks to contributions from generous donors like you. A contribution of any amount makes you a member. Please take a few moments and show your support today at www.patreon.com backslash microstreamradio. As we grow financially, we'll add new programs. Your support allows us to bring you more unique and increasingly valuable programs. We thank you so much. You're listening to Preservation Oaks on Microstream Radio. If you enjoy the show, then please tell all your friends, family, neighbors, pals, acquaintances, business associates, colleagues, and maybe a couple of enemies about the show. Stay tuned for more episodes at www.preservationoaks.podbean.com We thank you so much for spreading the love. This station is now the ultimate power in the universe. Please. This is Cleopatra, Queen of the Nile. While I'm waiting for Mark Anthony, I'm listening to Preservation Oaks on MicroStream Radio.
Hello listeners, I hope you are doing well and staying safe. You know, individual members provide the foundation of support on which all of MicroStream Radio's success is built. Your generosity helps keep us on the air with great programs. We rely on listeners like you. If you listen to the great programs here on MicroStream Radio, now is the time to show your support. It's a smart investment. As our membership grows and revenues increase, more great programs come back to you. Please take just a few moments to become a member today by going to www.patreon.com backslash microstreamradio. A contribution of any amount makes you a member. We thank you so much for being here and for your support today. Welcome back to Preservation Oaks. I'm your host, Sean Thomas Radcliffe, and we're here today with Dr. Paul Brennan, the president of the Kailua Historical Society in the state of Hawaii. For this segment, and I think we touched on it in the last segment, but we're gonna talk about the society's role in the community. And that means to me, you know, the outreach, the events. Um, Dr. Brennan has stated that COVID-19 is really affecting the people of uh, Kailua and uh, Oahu and the Hawaiian Islands. And right now, a lot of things are kind of on hold until the pandemic passes. Doctor, you mentioned the, the records, the historical artifacts. You said you could fill a museum at this time. And I think you mentioned that most of them are pre-1900. Did I hear that right? Uh, we, have, we have some that go back to the late 1800s. Wow. Um, I have myself collected stone artifacts from the Hawaiians because within our valley there was um, there was the existence of two lithic workshops. We know that Hawaiian craftsmen were working in there to create tools from basalt. And so the chipping, the scraping um, of those adze blades and axes was being done. We know archaeologically where those are. Around the streams especially, I've been able to find a few pieces that fill us in as to what their manufacturing processes were about. Kailua has been blessed with a very large supply of basalt, and this excellent rock, which um, has a high composition of carbon within it, volcanic glass, uh, it becomes wonderful resource material for the production of tools. Right. We would like to have a section within the museum that might be able to showcase that. But then from when the immigrants were coming in, especially with steel objects, we have pieces that have been contributed to us, like from the original stores when they were conducting commercial transactions. And um, we would like to be able to allow people to see these in kind of 
diorama form yeah, that would be so great. that they can have a better understanding of what life was like at these different time periods. Um, when the war broke out uh, in 1941, uh, the military moved in almost in a wholesale manner throughout Kailua. There was signage that they were putting up telling people that they could not go into this area because there were explosives. Um, there were bunkers being built by the military for the practicing of certain jungle warfare techniques. There was a target range area. There's this footprint which has been left. Of course, it has artifact kinds of evidence, and we would like to be able to put that together. Oh, yeah, that'd be great. That'd be great to see. I just want to mention to the audience that in addition to the book Kailua, which is available on the Society's website, there are also booklets for sale, and uh, one of them is Old Time Lanakai uh, and Kailua, Highlights of Kailua's History, the History of St. Anthony of Padua Catholic Church, uh, and Dr. Please correct me if I'm butchering the pronunciation of these things. Another one is Kailua way back when Florence's restaurant was the place to go. Kawainui Marsh and Winward... Kawainui, yes. Yep. And Winward Senior Day Care Center. I think that's the booklets, and you should take a look at them. I'm sure they're, they're filled with great information for everyone. Um, doctor, you mentioned that uh, you would like to employ young people, but do you currently have a number of volunteers who help the society? Uh, it's not difficult to be able to get uh, volunteers on a one-day basis. I think that if we had access to the Queen's Retreat right now, I could send out a word inviting people to come, and we probably could have a hundred people within a day okay. committing to volunteering their efforts for cleanup uh, at that site or at the site where I mentioned before, right alongside Kawainui Marsh. There is a public interest in being able to come and assist. All it would take would be phone calls and emails and social media being able to send out the invitation and people would come quickly. Um, That's fantastic. We have seen this in the past. That's fantastic. So I just want to remind our listeners the website is KailuaHistoricalSociety.org. Doctor, on the on the website or from the website, somebody can join as a member? Yes, they can. Um, membership remains open. We are always happy to have new members, and uh, we would like to offer them some special opportunities for learning and also volunteering. And um, we know that we have a long way to go in terms of restoring and preserving what we know is out there. 
yeah. and deserves to be restored and preserved. So if there's someone listening to this program and they want to not donate money, not donate time, but they have a number of artifacts that they would like preserved, how does someone go about doing that? Uh, they contact us on our website. We will arrange for pickup. There have been boxes of materials that have been sent to us. Uh, different organizations have gone out of existence and they feel that there might be some reason to preserve these. Yeah. One was the Betcher Estate, for example, which is well known within Kailua, a wealthy family from Colorado in the 1930s built an elaborate special home right on the beach. And Kalama Beach is where everybody in Kailua knows is excellent beach access, and they walk right beside the Betcher Estate. So since the friends of the Betcher Estate no longer exist, they transferred to the Historical Society all of their records. And since we have stored those, uh, other groups have, or other individuals have come along and said, can we look at those? We, we have a special interest in that history. And so within our archives, we have these collections which are waiting to be accessed by the public. We have regular requests for photographs. We would like to make them much more accessible to the community than has been made previously. Yeah. You're a 501c3, so is it true that any donations that are made to your society are tax-free? That is correct. Good. Yes. Well, that's very important for people to know. So if you do donate and, you know, you can then uh, write that off of your tax, that's a good thing. Is there anything else you want the people of your area to know about and support uh, by way of this program? We want you to know that we are in existence and we are in the process of waiting for opportunities to come as soon as the pandemic scares have subsided, we will be able to resume our efforts. And we want you to know that um, Kailua's history is fascinating and diverse. It's the story of this little community that began as farmers and has given birth now to rice mills and a whole variety of efforts associated with road building and urbanization. And the town of Kailua has only been in existence for essentially one century. Right. So much has happened during that time, and we believe that it's worth keeping this information in the forefront of public knowledge and the treasure of the past will become even greater as the days go by. Yeah, agree with that completely, doctor. Thank you for that. So Kailua listeners out there, Dr. Brennan has laid out, you know, a strategic plan. He has let us know 
you know, where he needs support, where the society needs support. So please help, um, if you can, by donating your time, uh, your money, or artifact uh, to be preserved for the future. Um, doctor, if I'm a member of the society, what do I get that non-members don't get? What are the benefits? Well, one of the benefits, which is very practical, is that you get a discount on the purchase of our book. All right. Instead of paying $40, we'll give you a discount of $6 off of that. Um, we'll give you special access to our files. We will make sure that you are included in our website information about tours that will be run and we'll invite you to be part of this process of assisting in the restoration and preservation. We think that things are at an exciting juncture right now, especially as a thousand acres owned privately are, we anticipate, being handed over to the state. And we will be right in the vanguard of all of that activity. And we think that this will be an exciting future for the society as we work in conjunction with state agencies and civic clubs of Kailua to be able to preserve and tell the history of the past. No kidding, Doctor. You've got so much going in terms of the archaeological sites, in terms of the prehistory. You've got a place where the queen, and I can't remember her name. Um, Livio Kolani. Kolani. So you've got all of that going, temples and things that even some of the archaeologists of today didn't realize were there. And it's just about to break if we can get rid of this COVID monster. Things will really pick up, and I, I'm really looking forward to seeing how this grows. It's quite exciting. Well, thank you, and thank you for giving us a platform to be able to share the stories of the past as well as the plans for the future. No, thank you, Doctor, for spending time with us today. I've learned a lot and had a great time, and I probably didn't ask half of the questions that, I, that occurred to me because um, of the, you know, the limit of time that we have. But I'm so glad to meet you. It's been really inspiring how much you and your society have done. You know, even though you're, you have limited funds, you, you know, we have a COVID monster out there, um, you're still pushing forward. You've got, you know, enough artifacts to fill a museum, archaeological sites, um, a wonderful book that people can get from your website. So it's really inspiring. And thank you very much. I appreciate you being here. And with that, we'll go ahead and end this show. Thank you very much, Dr. Brennan. You're very welcome. My pleasure. Aloha. We'll be right back to Preservation Oaks with Sean Thomas Radcliffe after these important messages. Hello listeners, I hope you are doing well and staying safe. Do you know, individual members provide the foundation of support on which all of MicroStream Radio's success is built. Your generosity helps keep us on the air with great programs. We rely on listeners like you. If you listen to the great programs here on MicroStream Radio, now is the time to show your support. It's a smart investment. As our membership grows and revenues increase, 
more great programs come back to you please take just a few moments to become a member today by going to www.patreon.com/microstreamradio a contribution of any amount makes you a member we thank you so much for being here and for your support today and now back to preservation oaks and welcome back i'm your host Sean Thomas Radcliffe what a great show huh Dr. Paul Brennan is so knowledgeable and an expert in the history of Kailua and in fact is uncovering archaeological history as we speak, as in there is archaeology that local archaeologists didn't even realize was there until Dr. Brennan showed them. Dr. Brennan indicated that he would like to complete more archaeology in the area before it's damaged or gone forever and lost to the people of Kailua. So let's recap. We discussed the fact that Kailua is currently a bedroom community. There are no hotels or motels in Kailua, and it has historically been known as the poi supplier of Hawaii. Dr. Brennan talked about how Kailua was originally settled, the meaning of the name Kailua, which is two waters, the commercial and cultural development of Kailua prior to and after World War II, and statehood into the United States in 1959. Since 1981, when he and his wife arrived in Hawaii from Papua, New Guinea, Dr. Brennan has focused his life's work on preserving the oral histories of Chinese, Japanese, and Portuguese immigrants and native Hawaiians in Kailua. He now has over 150 of these stored in the Society's archive. Dr. Brennan discussed the Japanese picture brides and how these marriages have stayed the test of time and lasted. Dr. Brennan has conducted tours of Kailua free of charge for years. He recently gave a tour to state archaeologists. What he showed them was what he refers to as the Queen's Retreat, which includes a Hawaiian temple, the Queen's Carriageway, and a place where the royal family of Hawaii bathed. Dr. Brennan shared touching and beautiful stories about Kailua and its residents. The Kailua Historical Society is waiting for the end of COVID. They are anticipating to have a grant of land for the society to sell or build a permanent facility for the society. Dr. Brennan related that the society needs young people to come and help, and eventually he would like them to be employed by the society. There's a need for archive space, and very importantly, there's a need to digitize their paper and photographic records. Dr. Brennan would like to create additional publications and help conduct additional archaeological research in Kailua. Lastly, there's a need for the society to get back to normal and be able to continue education and sharing with their members and the community. Dr. Brennan and his team there at the Society seem to have a very good relationship within the community. Man, what an exciting time for the Kailua Historical Society. I would love to be there as the Society develops these plans. There's a lot of opportunity to help our Preservation Oak, Dr. Paul Brennan, and the Kailua Historical Society. If you're a listener in Kailua, or if you're a listener researching family history in Kailua and you're not already a member, please consider joining and supporting the Society. The Kailua Historical Society's website URL is kailuahistoricalsociety.org. I hope this information helps the audience understand how valuable the Kailua Historical Society is to the community and what kinds of excellent work they continue to do for the members and the public. 
including going above and beyond in my assessment by cleaning up the neighborhood and serving on committees to address the homeless population of Kailua. The Kailua Historical Society is truly a value add to the community and definitely one of our preservation oaks. Thank you, Dr. Brennan, and thank you to the Kailua Historical Society. All right, that's a wrap for this episode. Music used today is from Simba Bird, Scott Holmes, 50 Sounds, David Fezzelin from Fezzelin Studios, Martin Shellikins, Tim McMorris, and timmcmorris.com. Thanks to everybody for listening. This is Sean Thomas Radcliffe. See you all next time on Preservation Oaks. <laughs>